This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Slow Burn Media and Evergreen Podcast presents Who Killed? A podcast that provides a voice for the voiceless. Previously on the Colonial Parkway Murders, Part 2. 30 years and nothing but frustration for families of eight people who fell victim to an apparent serial killer along the Colonial Parkway. Keith's car was found, but the two have never been seen again. The body's never found. He's not going to come here. Somebody else most likely brought the car here. For the families of the people whose lives were lost some 30 years ago, the frustration is just as strong now as it was then. And tonight we are looking at missteps made during the opening stages of the investigation that may still be hindering things now. All of the unsolved murders, there is no closure for any of the families, but especially for the families of Keith Call and Cassandra Haley. Three days later on Sunday evening, that car, a Honda Civic, was found off the Colonial Parkway. It had been rolled into these bushes, almost into the water. Rebecca Andowski and Kathleen Thomas, two haunting names never forgotten by people in Hampton Roads. They're the first two victims of the Colonial Parkway murders. Me and one of the other detectives found David about 50 feet down, I guess. I won't ever stop. This is very important to me and to my family. Typically what the FBI will do is the investigative uh, agent will, will text me and say, can you please call me? And I'll know they have some news. And we're talking a lot these days, and I'm thrilled about that. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Colonial Parkway Murders, Part 3. I am your host, Bill Huffman, and this week's guest is the one and only Bill Thomas, the brother of one of the first victims in the Colonial Parkway serial killings, Kathy Thomas. Now, Bill has had a very big impact on the case and continues to be a leader in the fight for justice. And on this week's episode, we're going to discuss what is going on in the familial database world. As you may have realized, things have sort of slowed to a trickle as far as cold cases being solved. And there's a reason for that. And the reason is that one weekend, GEDmatch, which was the database that a lot of these law enforcement companies or agencies were using, decided to change some of their policies. And they made it an opt-in program. So if you get a chance to listen deeply into what Bill has to say I believe this week's episode is a call for action. And if you want people to be able to track down their loved ones, whether they're lost or have been killed or, you know, worse, 
this is a situation that is fluid and Bill has a very good perspective on it. So I am going to let Bill have this platform again and we're going to discuss what is going on with the opt-in option on these databases. So please join me this week. And again, thank you for joining me this week. So in regards to what's going on with the DNA technology today, a lot of the solved cases, they were using a database called GEDmatch. You had mentioned, you know, in our previous conversation that you had come across some information and some things that you didn't think were on the up and up or you questioned. And uh, I just wanted to hear what your thoughts were on what's going on currently with the uh, state of DNA and the opt-in aspect of GEDmatch. Yeah. Uh, Well, first of all, just to to remind your listeners, in the Colonial Parkway murders, we have, the families have been told that we have potential perpetrator DNA in three of the four crime scenes. So that doesn't mean it is perpetrator DNA, and they've never told us that the DNA in these three of the four crime scenes, they've never said that it matches either. So we're not saying it's the same person or persons. But we, we the families see the potential for uh, forensic uh, genealogy, or some people are calling it genetic genealogy. I actually prefer forensic uh, personally. That is using these DNA databases like GEDmatch, uploading samples from uh, unknown individuals, and then trying to determine who these people are using typically the, the GEDmatch database. And what I was touching on with you before, Bill, was uh, GEDmatch, very unfortunately, has made a decision to reverse its policy over the of the past year, and they are now requiring their 1.2 million uh, GEDmatch members to opt into law enforcement. This is a complete reversal of their position over the past year, which has resulted in all of those cases um, being solved. You know, 50 plus uh, people have been identified as potential perpetrators uh, including Joseph D'Angelo in the Golden State Killer case. So obviously there is a tremendous amount of potential for legitimate law enforcement agencies to work with uh, DNA labs, often but not always Parabon. And now, now Bodie Labs and others are also getting into the business of assisting law enforcement with these genealogical searches. And we just see tremendous potential here. and the very unfortunate decision and short-sighted decision, in our opinion, uh, on GEDmatch's part to suddenly reverse themselves after a year of success and 50-plus cases uh, having potential suspects identified, um, this is a major setback for our families and, I I think, for the 200,000 cold case murders uh, across the United States. So in regards to the the opt-in, did they automatically change the policy for everybody that had already uploaded their DNA and then they made it an opt-in option? They did. And so what happened was there was a case in Utah, and we don't have to get into all of the details, but 
uh, a law enforcement agency, I think, pushed the envelope. Um, the policy had been for the previous year that if um, GEDMATS could be used by law enforcement, um, if they were searching for a potential perpetrator in a rape or sexual assault. So it was a pretty high bar. And uh, a law enforcement agency in, um, in Utah um, pushed GEDMATCH beyond its normal standard and beyond the description that was in GEDMATCH's terms of service by asking them to allow law enforcement uh, and a DNA lab to upload a sample in a situation where there was a very serious assault on an elderly lady playing church music in her place of worship, no less. And this woman had been very seriously assaulted, but she was not raped and she was not murdered, thankfully. But when BuzzFeed News got a hold of this story, um, it, it was a minor kerfuffle, as my mom would say, um, on the part of some longtime genealogists who kicked up a fuss because they felt that GEDmatch had violated its own terms of service. And that small but very vocal group of genealogists, um, some of whom I've had some interaction with uh, in the last couple of months, um, they pressured GEDmatch. And so the original position, as I mentioned, over the previous year, since the Golden State Killer case had broken, was that all of the about million, now it's about 1.2 million profiles in GEDmatch were potentially searchable anonymously. In other words, no one's individual information was available to law enforcement, but they were that gave them a, a place to upload this perpetrator DNA and then search for potential matches. Um, and what they did is over a weekend with literally zero notice to their million plus uh, user base, they switched from all DNA profiles are searchable to you're only searchable if you opt in to law enforcement searching. Now, interestingly, about 100,000 people so far from what the latest articles I've read on the GEDmatch database have um, op made the decision to opt in. But re remember, a lot of people, if they're involved in uh, genealogy, they may have died, they may have retired, they may have lost interest, but they left their profile up on 23andMe or Ancestry.com, and then who do not currently allow searching by law enforcement without a subpoena, or uh, uploaded to GEDmatch, which until the end of May did allow searching. So I have to contrast that with another database, which is pretty comparable and is being used by law enforcement called Family Tree DNA. Family Tree DNA, which has a little over a million profiles, um, is also working with law enforcement. Now, interestingly, they went the opposite route. They it, tell their user base, if you do not want your DNA searched by law enforcement anonymously, um, you can opt out. So it, it's a completely different approach. And interestingly, less than 2% of the million plus people in Family Tree DNA 
have chosen to opt out of law enforcement searching. Whereas, and I think GEDmatch, who are well-meaning people, it's a not-for-profit organization run by two uh, gentlemen, one out of Texas, one out of Florida. And I've had some contact with uh, Curtis Rogers, who uh, runs um, GEDmatch. I I think his intentions were good, but I think he um, collapsed under pressure from these very vocal uh, genealogists who were insisting that this was a complete violation of everyone's civil rights. I, I think the whole thing is absurd. It's a little bit like saying that uh, fingerprint searches are unconstitutional somehow as well. They sound These people sound like such Luddites when they make this argument that this is somehow outrageous that law enforcement would have this capability. Well, you know, and when you boil it down, all again, it is, it's just another tool for law enforcement to protect citizens that aren't committing crime. So I don't understand why, like you had mentioned, I, with, uh, with Jed match kind of caving to the pressure. I, I mean, I was going to ask, but you kind of, kind of answered it for me. If you thought it was just a rash sort of decision just sort of to get everybody off his back because of the fact that you know it was just sort of like okay that's it well the whole uh, the whole thing is ridiculous and i think it, it was incredibly unprofessional my understanding is that a long time uh genealogist who shall remain nameless um had been advising jed match for some time on a pro bono basis. This guy's also an attorney. And he had advised uh, Jed Match on different issues. This is, as I said, this is a not, very small not-for-profit run by two gentlemen um, who got into this because of their interest in genealogy. It's all very well intended. But then a group of hysterical, quite frankly, um, genealogists suddenly, you know, they hear about the story uh, from Utah via BuzzFeed. And they, they, you know, they start, you know, insisting that this is outrageous and this is inappropriate. And I've actually had some exchanges and I've, I've kept it polite and respectful. I've had some exchanges with some of these folks on the genealogy websites and their, the, the, they refer to these genetic, uh, the, these genealogy databases as our and their databases when they really belong to the people who uploaded their individual data, myself included, um, and my family. Uh, And they, I I have to be frank, Bill, they were incredibly uncaring, arrogant, and high-handed in their responses to me and other family members when we raised the issue that we believe that, that a genealogy database could be incredibly useful to helping solve America's 200,000 cold case murders. Clearly it was working. We were actually moving along at a clip um, where these DNA labs, mostly Parabon, uh, but as I mentioned, others were getting into the business. They were um, announcing about a case a week that where law enforcement had taken the information of a potential perpetrator, and then they go they go out and do all the traditional uh, law enforcement work that they normally would. They are looking at this person's background, 
Um, ultimately, they actually go out and after checking, uh, it's typically him out, um, they are then surreptitiously collecting his DNA from a typically from a discarded item like a coffee cup, um, that sort of thing. Um, and then retesting the DNA to see if they have a match from the original perpetrator DNA. This was working incredibly well. Um, and we found it so disappointing that this small group of very vocal genealogists were able to make determinations for literally a million people on the GEDmatch database. And at the same time, we cannot help but note that a million people on a similar database, database family tree DNA, only less than 2% have actually chosen to opt out. One of the points I tried to make a few months ago, back in May when all of this happened was, why didn't we give everyone, say, six months notice? If, in other words, if GEDmatch was going to make this decision to go to an opt-in system, why didn't they give everyone six months notice? Instead, they did this over a weekend, almost like in a panic. And I believe that some of these genealogists who were insisting that this was a terrible problem and needed to be immediately addressed, which was ludicrous, um, insisted that GEDmatch make an immediate U-turn and basically shut off their database to law enforcement. Um, as I mentioned, about 100,000 People have opted in, but that's a very small database if you're going to be looking for potential matches amongst, you know, hundreds of millions of people here in the U.S. So, so as far as GEDmatch goes and, and the opt-in policy, do you believe that they can reverse course and maybe right the ship that they've sort of wronged and kind of do what you just said and maybe kind of come at it a different way and or do you think it's i mean have you have you talked to them about that aspect of things i i have not i've talked to mr rogers uh, curtis rogers in the past very very nice man um and i have not talked to him because at, at the time of this whole big fuss um he was just getting you know harassed by people and i did i didn't want to be part of that chorus of people you know sort of yelling at this you know really nice retired guy in florida who set this thing up and probably has never made a dime on his uh small not-for-profit um i i don't think at this point that jed match would reverse course um, I think it would be the fair and right and reasonable thing to do, but uh, it's, it, you know, the whole thing ended up being incredibly disappointing. Um, interestingly, the genealogical community split uh, and there were some bitter, bitter arguments. I tried not to be one of the people, you know, driving that, you know, those hard feelings. I don't, I don't necessarily see Jetmatch as, reversing course. They really should, but um, I, I don't know that they, uh, I don't know that they will. I, I guess I couldn't rule out reaching out to Curtis Rogers again and maybe having a conversation with him. Um, he's in Florida, I'm in Connecticut, but I'd certainly 
be happy to talk with them by phone or, or, or what have you. But unfortunately, some of the people that have been uh, giving him really bad and, and to be frank, very self-interested advice, in other words, these, th- this group of genealogists, they want to keep this sort of a closed community. And, and you know, they might criticize me because I, I have an agenda as well, although as we've talked about, you know, my agenda is always the same. I'm trying to move forward uh, the Colonial Parkway murders and my sister Kathy's murder as as part of that series. And I'm pretty upfront with everybody in terms of what I'm looking for. Yeah, I mean, you obviously have a personal, <clears throat> excuse me, personal, you know, attachment to the to the Jed Match situation. And do you believe that it's a moral or ethical dilemma that they're kind of facing that of you know is it the aclu the you know is it a privacy concern so much as it is of uh you know we just don't want to deal with the because we didn't start this you know they didn't start the program to catch criminals that just sort of evolved into that sort of aspect of things and do you think that that sort of caught them off guard to the point where they didn't know what the best avenue to go was other than to you know without shutting the whole thing down the quick and easy solution was to make it a opt-in type of program because it is a free it's free right it is it is free you can pay uh, jed match a, a, a small upcharge for additional um services and access but um jed match is free and typically the way um, it, individuals like myself would put up a profile to Jed Matches. They would start with one of the paid services like Family Tree DNA or Ancestry or 23andMe. And then you have an option, which we're, we're actually urging people to now take those steps, and they can upload their profile from those paid sites because you, you know you own it, you paid for it. And you can then upload it to GEDmatch. And I'll ask you uh, to include a link uh, for people that, you know, with a YouTube video. It explains it. It's, it's pretty simple. Um, I do get the, uh, the privacy concerns. I really do. Um, and, and I do understand where my friends at the ACLU, and I'm actually a member of the ACLU for what it's worth, um, I understand their concerns about privacy, yet at the same time, I think all of us have to admit that privacy, you know, that ship might have sailed. In other words, the, the first time we all decided to sign up for that first email account and then and you just keep adding more and more elements. Um, do we really think that we're that hard to find? And it's funny, people are debating these things so passionately on social media. And I've worked pretty closely with the FBI on my sister's case. If you don't think that the FBI or local law enforcement or whomever can't find you in a matter of minutes, it, you know, it's a little harder when your name is Bill Huffman or Bill Thomas. You know, those are a little bit, you know, kind of common names, at least we're not, you know, William Smith, but um, they, they can typically find you in a matter of minutes. And 
to the point about the, the database was originally set up as genealogical database. I get it. Well, fingerprints were originally set up to catch criminals. And so, but now what do we do? We've added features where many parents, myself included, have chosen to have their kids fingerprinted. Um, and uh, you're waving your hand. Um, yeah, I, well, I was, I mean, back in 1984, I mean, I remember going to the local library and getting fingerprinted. Yeah, exactly. And and the thing is, they fingerprinted you as a as a as a boy, um, as a kid, for for safety purposes. Now, remember, this was originally set up to catch you know the John Dillingers of the world. I'm dating myself here in our history of crime, but it was set up to catch bad guys. But they realized that the technology could also help keep kids safe. So. It's it's kind of similar in that sometimes some uh, something is developed with one purpose in mind, and you realize that it has other uh, potential um, good and worthwhile uses. I actually think that from a legal standpoint, I'm not an attorney, but I've certainly worked with some great ones. I, I don't think that using the genealogical database like family tree DNA or jet match or what have you, I don't think it violates any constitutional provision about unlawful searches and seizures in the same way that I don't think using a database of fingerprints um, violates anyone's uh, civil rights. And, and look, we've got to be grown up about this. And this is what I think is lacking in this debate so far. If you and I are driving down the street, I might not love it, but there are cameras now that are set up on major and minor highways around the country that are um, photographing passersby. And now law enforcement uses those databases to see if Bill Thomas, I'm, I'm wearing my criminal hat now, you know, was at a certain place at a certain time. Um driving my Mini Cooper with my license plate on it. And I don't love it, but I think there's a certain degree of uh, surveillance going on in general of our movements, which is typically only applied when law enforcement is investigating a crime. Now, my friends on the civil libertarian side, they might get freaked out about it. But like I said a minute ago, Bill, that ship sailed decades ago. We're all on the World Wide Web. You and I are using the technology right now to have this conversation and communicate with a whole bunch of other people. And all of us have made ourselves easy to find. And if you look at what people talk about on social media, particularly Facebook, day in, day out, the, the concept of privacy is growing antiquated. I'm not saying I'm 100% comfortable with that, but... I would make a moral argument rather than a legal argument. I don't think that the opponents of uh, searching genealogical databases for potential bad guys are going to prevail in, in a legal argument. And I think from a societal good argument, I think that I'm willing to give up a little snippet of my privacy if, if that allows law enforcement and a DNA lab, certified DNA lab to look at a million plus 
people, um, some of the larger databases like Ancestry and 23andMe have, you know, more than 10 million, uh, allows them to search those databases anonymously to look for potential matches, which would help identify serial rapists, serial murderers. I, I don't think most people have a problem with that. Witness the 98% of people on Family Tree DNA that did not opt out of law enforcement searching. I think we all need to be honest and grown up about it. Yeah, I mean, I think anybody who's, you know, there's a great documentary on Netflix called uh, Terms and Conditions, I believe. I believe that's the title. But it's all about basically, yeah, you click that little box that says I agree and boom, you know, your privacy's your privacy's already been, I guess uh, the proper word is... Uh, infiltrated since we are using Google or, you know, the internet or anything like that. We carry our phones with us everywhere we go. So if you want to track our movements, it's so like you mentioned, if law enforcement wants to get you, they can. I mean, I live in a city where the police have those, you know, scanners on their vehicles that scan basically constantly of any license plate that's driving by that, you know, even when they're driving in the neighborhood and if it, picks up something that's got a warrant or you know it goes off and boom they can pull you over i mean there's some kind of i don't know how on the up and up that is but it it's again it's not designed to hurt people it's meant design it's designed to you know catch people who have been either you know implicated in a crime or have committed a crime or have a warrant out for their arrest. So sure. And I don't think most people regard having a license plate on your car as being, uh, you know, somehow a violation of your civil rights. That's part of the deal when you decide you're going to uh, have a vehicle. You have you register that vehicle in your case with the with the state of Ohio, me with the state of Connecticut and you um register the car and you've got an identifier on it. And at, you know, at the same time when you and I met a couple of months ago um, at CrimeCon, you know, we said hello and had a good conversation. And then we talked about, hey, you know, maybe we should have an online conversation about about the Colonial Parkway murders and other issues. And, you know, I think we were both real excited about it. The first thing I did when I got home after I unpacked and ran some laundry was in looking at all the people I wanted to follow up with, you included, I looked you up on the Internet. And, you know, I started, you know, reading and listening to some podcasts. You're smiling as you say this. But you've made a decision as an individual that you want to use social media. And part of the same deal, just like the car thing, is if you put yourself out on social media, um, unless you're going to use a fake name and a picture with a, you know, with a mustache on it, you're probably going to appear on social media in ways where people are, are very quickly going to figure out who's this guy, Bill Huffman. Oh, well, he's a newsman, he's a producer, and he's got a, a, a successful series of podcasts. And, you know, look, to be frank, I never looked up your address, but, you know, that capability exists. You can go to whitepages.com and put in a person's name and, and a city and a state and Quite often, you can find someone's home address, et cetera, et cetera. And don't forget, folks, every time you're involved in a real estate transaction, 
All that stuff is recorded and it goes on and on and on. We are not anonymous. We've never been anonymous and it, we get less anonymous every single day. So let's stop with the histrionics on the, on the genealogical database. Law enforcement is using it for a legitimate purpose. They're searching it anonymously. Only when they get a hit do they then begin the hard work working with genealogists to narrow down who this individual might be. And then once they figure out, <clears throat> well, this could be a person from such and such a family, as I mentioned, then they go back and do all the traditional confirmation that a law enforcement investigator would do, which is determining who this individual is, does he or she, it's typically he in these examples, have a connection to this place and time. And then ultimately, you know, they go out and they um, determine with a fair degree of certainty, this is the right person. And ultimately, they're looking to collect that individual's DNA to see if that matches the original perpetrator DNA that they loaded into the database. The, the objections, I understand people's concerns, but I don't think that their concern about privacy is going to supersede um, society's right to go back and stop criminals, serial rapists, serial murderers, etc., from literally getting away with murder. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more, Bill. And this would actually be a great opportunity to take a second to hear from our sponsor this week, BetterHelp.com. Having dealt with anxiety and depression for most of my life, I know a thing or two about the importance of mental health. So today I'm pleased to tell you about a great company. Is there something that interferes with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? BetterHelp Online Counseling is there for you. Connect with your professional counselor in a safe and private online environment. It's so convenient, you can get help on your own time and at your own pace. And now you can schedule secure video or phone sessions, plus chat and text with your therapist. With over 3,000 U.S. licensed therapists across all 50 states, BetterHelp is there for you. If you're not happy with any of your counselors for any reason at any time, you can get a new one for no additional charge. They even have apps for your computer or smartphone. Whether you're suffering from depression, anger, stress, anxiety, LGBT matters, or self-esteem issues, they have a licensed professional counselor for you. And everything you share is confidential. Best of all, it's a truly affordable option. Who Killed Amy Mihaljevic listeners get 10% off your first month with discount code WHO. So why not get started today? Go to betterhelp.com slash who. Simply fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get matched with a counselor you'll love. That's betterhelp.com slash who. Yeah, I definitely think that, you know, as a as a public, we, you know, we've given up that right to privacy. And I think if knowing that and being aware of it is important, especially when you do sign up for things like Ancestry or, you know, you'd put your stuff out in GEDmatch. I mean, it's going to be, well, first of all, people have to realize n- nobody's that important. <laughs> you know, like, unless, like they're, they're not going to be like looking up your call logs if you're just some guy or some girl. Um, 
if you've committed a crime or people think you may have committed a crime, then they can start the process of, you know, investigating whom that person is. But for anybody to think that they're important enough that anybody's just sitting around listening to their phone calls or their text messages just to see what they're up to. I mean, that's just a little, that's a little, uh, egotistical if you ask me. (laughs) It is, you know, look, I butted heads with the FBI on my sister's case any number of times. And, you know, even I'm not arrogant enough to think that, that, uh, law enforcement has the time to listen to my boring conversations about uh, with my partner Pamela about you know the contractors coming over tomorrow to work on the roof. I mean, literally, you know. Look, it it we've we've all got to understand that um, th- this has a tremendous benefit to us as a society. And by the way, I shouldn't let this go by without mentioning. Keep in mind that databases like this and searches for suspects have, are also helping to uh, free innocent people who have been wrongly incarcerated, convicted, and you know based on earlier technology. And so, folks like the Innocence Project um, are are working to get um, people who who were tried and convicted but wrongfully uh, out of jail. And we we obviously can't give back those people their their you know the years of their lives that they spent behind bars for crimes they didn't commit, but at least we can figure out who the the, the correct perpetrators are, or if we got it wrong and we have we have, again we have to be honest and grown up about this. There are there are people sitting in jail right now for crimes that they didn't commit, and so using technology like DNA, which is, to me, is is just like a fingerprint. Um, if we can help get innocent people out of jail and try to at least right those wrongs, there's another benefit. So there's, there's so much potential here. And the, just the idea that, you know, we have to fight this every step of the way because, you know, this this is going to interfere with our ability to make a living as genealogists, which is, again, I'm going to be frank here. That's a bit more of what's going on. Genealog- a certain group of genealogists want to keep this sort of very private and it's their little little special fiefdom. And they're the people that you have to pay to help you access this. And obviously, you know, the millions of us that have signed up for Ancestry, Family Tree DNA, 23andMe, and then nonprofit databases like GEDmatch are finding out that, you know, we can actually figure a fair amount of this stuff out ourselves. We don't necessarily need to pay somebody to help us research our family tree. Yeah, I think that's a a very good point. I think that uh, everything that you've brought up as far as ethics, the morality, the, you know, the beneficiary, you know, the benefits, the benefits of, you know, the actual program itself outweigh anything that could be negative. And I just, I hope that they understand that they can be a part of this in a positive way and not be or feel like they're doing something immoral or unethical because again 
you know, people like you mentioned before, 2% of the, you know, the other database are the ones that opted out of the ability for the police to investigate because people understand that crimes happen and DNA is left. And sometimes that's all we're left with is just that. We don't have an image. We don't have a sketch. We don't have anything. We just have some fluids or whatever hair. And if it's not, if you don't have companies like JedMatch or, you know, these other database companies working with law enforcement, I just think it's a disservice to, to the technology that we've built to this point in time. I mean, it's 2019. I think it's, it's time to be okay with the fact that we can use these high-end um, databases to help, like you mentioned, get innocent people out of jail. But then in the same sense, take that innocent person out of jail and put the guilty person in jail. So exactly. it just, it's just a, it, to me, it just doesn't make any sense why they wouldn't want to be a part of that. But I also understand that it's a sticky situation and then they had a lot of pressure on them and they may have just overreacted, but the ship is over. I mean, it's not, it's not like it's, it couldn't change, you know? I mean, well, I, I certainly hope so. And I, I think you're, you're absolutely right. I also think they got bad, just bad advice from self-interested people. Um, and, you know, and it's funny, this probably worth, this might be a little bit of a subtle point, but, but I, I think I can convey it. Those databases were set up by um, people interested in finding loved ones, et cetera, um, you know, finding family members. And there's a lot of people searching for uh, lost loved ones. So, in other words, there's a lot of people that are that are adopted. They're from um, uh, the products of, 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 of divorce um, or or. Um, adoption, um, broken families, you know, I, I don't mean to make it all sound negative, but there are people out there looking for their families. And all of us understand that this is a very powerful thing. You know, you, I think many of us want to feel that sense of, of belonging. So this database was set up to do good for a group of people searching for family. And I think that's very positive. We used uh, Ancestry um, our, ourselves, my, my family, um, a, a couple of years ago now and discovered all sorts of things about our family. Um, we did the same. We did the same. My mom bought us all uh, you know, the kits and we all sent them out. And yeah, it was really interesting. So, but that that database, which again you're searching anonymously until you get you know some sort of hit. In other words, you're looking at a million plus people looking for the Huffmans or or um, whatever your mom's maiden name was. In my case, it's McNeese on my mom's side, Thomas obviously on my dad's side. We you know we were searching for these family members, and so I've discovered cousins and other family members I never knew existed. And this has actually been very exciting and positive uh, for my my family and for particularly for my brothers and me. And, you know, that's what the database was set up for. And that it, it you're searching anonymously. And then if you 
discover that you are um, related to somebody, you have an opportunity to open up a dialogue if you choose to with people that are your potential relatives. And if you don't want to have that conversation, you don't have that conversation. And so you can, you know, say nothing or block them or, or, or what have you. And sometimes people discover things about their families that they didn't necessarily know and might not want to know. But the point is, is that the database was put there as sort of a community good. And I think I can make a pretty convincing argument that for those of us that are trying to discover who killed or, or, or raped or assaulted our loved ones, I don't know that I could necessarily see that you finding out, you know, that you have a long lost half sibling somewhere is a greater societal benefit than me and with the help of law enforcement and a DNA lab figuring, figuring out who killed my kid sister. I, I don't think those, you know, I'm sort of, you know, doing the, the weights uh, and weights and measures here, balancing gesture with my hands. I don't think that as important as it is for people to find lost loved ones, is that any more important than the members of the Colonial Parkway murders families figuring out who killed our loved ones? I, I, I think that, I think that was, those pretty much balance out. So I think us using a database like GEDmatch is a completely valid um, use of, of a community good. Now, if you could say anything to the people that are involved, I mean, you basically just said it, but if, you know, if you could specifically state to them, you know, what, you know, what would you like them to get out of this conversation? (laughs) You mean after I get past the, where do you get off? Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Venting. (laughs) Um, uh, Well, you know, you you sort of, you, you have, you get that out and you let it go. <laughs> I think my last point about, I, I think there, there, there are about ba- like a lot of things in life, there are balance. Uh, we all need to find balance. I, I think we can share this, these collective databases in, in a responsible way with law enforcement partners and certified DNA labs who are searching for answers in the same way that those of us that are searching for long lost loved ones um, can, uh, can, you know, can use those databases to, you know, to make those connections. It's all, all of this is about connecting people. Now, unfortunately, a very, very small percentage of these people are, are wrongdoers and have participated in horrible crimes. And, and that hurts all of us as a community. And lots of people um, who follow the Colonial Parkway murders have said to me, you know, they have no direct connection to this. They're, they're not related by blood in the way that we are to, to the victims. But they see it as they see an unsolved murder or a series of unsolved murders. And in our case, you know, you've got eight young people in, in Virginia that are still unsolved and many other unsolved murders around the same time. Um, uh, lots of folks have said to me, they see this as a, as a loss for their community because they think it makes 
the members of that community feel less safe and that they, um, they, you know, particularly, you know, and those of us that are parents, myself included, you know, I remember my sister-in-law saying to me, once you've had a child, you're never free of worry, even as they get older. As a matter of fact, I think my mom worried about us even more once we were, you know, out and got our driver's licenses and started dating. And, you know, she was always so fearful of things that might happen. And as it turns out, she was right in the case of my younger sister, Kathy. Um, but I think there's a loss to the community that it can be rectified by, to some extent, by the solution of of unsolved murders and rapes. Whether it's di- you know directly for the victims and their families. Um, keep in mind that you know my sister's no longer with us, but there are lots of victims of of rape and sexual assault that are living with that every single day. And I, you notice I don't use the word closure, but because I'm not a big believer, but whatever small sliver of comfort or justice or a feeling of safety um, or, dare I say, closure that we can provide to individuals, whether they are survivors or victims, I, I think is very important. Yeah, I, th- I think everything that you've just stated in the, you know in this whole conversation is all stuff that the companies that do handle databases and do handle you know the public's DNA when they do sign up for these you know projects. It's important for them to listen to people like yourself because it really does show you what positive things can come out of it without it being again, like you said, it's a very small percentage of people that have committed crimes that would even be affected by it. So like you were doing the weights and measures thing earlier, obviously the pros, in my opinion, outweigh the cons. And I do understand the questions of, I I get it. I get the privacy concerns, but I also understand that I, at the end of the day, getting innocent people out of jail, solving cold cases like the colonial parkway murders, getting some sense of comfort, knowing that that person has been at least identified in your sister's case. I think all of that stuff is vital and important, especially as we move forward in this new age of uh, technology. And the fact that we all have already sacrificed our privacy years ago with email addresses and whatnot. um, I just think that we need to accept the fact that these types of, databases do exist and that they can provide very important and satisfying results to people that are searching for answers like yourself. Right. And uh, I I agree completely. And, and I think much in the same way, a a search for lost family is, is a completely valid and often, you know, positive and, and, um, growing kind of experience for those of us that are interested in in genealogy which you know my family has been and by the way we got involved in genealogy a couple of years ago because my uh, older brother Richard his uh, daughter Anna um, he and his wife Anne have an adopted um, daughter who's now 21 years old and, uh, and graduated from college but she's from China and so 
part of this initial effort on, in, inside the Thomas family was to help Anna with her own search for herself. We're actually hopeful down the road that as more people in mainland China would participate in databases like this, Anna would like to find her birth parents someday. And, you know, she loves her adopted parents and has been with them for 21 years. But we all need to, you know, to search for self. And we actually got involved in the whole genealogical thing uh, with the McNeese and Thomas families to just kind of show Anna where we were from and that we're, we're hoping that, you know, we know we know where Anna is from in in China originally, and that we're hoping that someday she'll be able to find her uh, birth parents and perhaps she has siblings and so on. The whole thing can be a fascinating process. I just can't see a reason why we're shutting out those of us that might be searching for a different answer. It's all about family. It's all about our search for for ourselves and for answers we we just have a slightly different question. Yeah, I think everything that you've you've stated is just spot on, and it's, it's obviously it's very you're passionate about it. Um, so I can't thank you enough for um, for sharing your thoughts on you know the subject matter, especially going forward. Like I said, you know we're in this. Like you had mentioned earlier in the conversation, there were cases like once a week it seemed like that were getting solved, and like the faucet has been turned off because of that. So yeah, yeah. Um, I'm case, hoping, I'm hoping me too. And the cases we're seeing that are, they're being solved and it, it has slowed to a trickle and that's di- directly as a result of Jed match's decision. Uh, I think there are cases now in the pipeline via the family tree DNA uh, system and it, it, they will, I think they will begin to pick up. Um, over time. But, you know, that tap where we were doing just about one a week, that was so exciting. And it was, it gave all of the families, mine included, and I'm in touch with the other seven families in the Colonial Parkway murders, it gave us such a sense of hope. And then to have those hopes dashed, um, it's, it's been, it's been a blow. It really has, because this is one of the brightest spots we've had in cold case investigations um, in years. And, you know, it's so exciting for, for us to meet family members from the Golden State Killer and other cases where they're, they're after decades of waiting, they're finally seeing some forward movement. Um, you know, potential perpetrators identified, cases going to trial. Um, you know, they, many people have pled guilty um, uh, to, to, um, the charges against them because their lawyers have figured out, you know, something they've got you dead to rights here. You, you know, you are guilty. You did do it. And now it's years later, in some cases, decades later, but you've been identified and there isn't really much way around this. Now, one case has already gone through trial and held up perfectly well. I think, as I said, this will be ultimately, um, codified and approved by the courts and it, it's already been uh, been through the the full process of trial once and um, and then we've seen dozens and dozens of plea agreements in many of these other 
examples. This is a, a brave new world. I think we all just have to embrace it and not look backward, but look forward. Very well said. And, you know, thank you again for discussing this, uh, you know, it's a tough subject. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you. And we really appreciate everything you're doing, Bill. No problem. This episode of the Colonial Parkway Murders, part three. If you have not subscribed yet to Who Killed Amy Mihaljevic, please do. And as a reminder, this is an independently produced podcast. So if you'd like to help keep the lights on and the recorders running, you can support the show by clicking the donate button on the right side of whokilledamymihaljevic.com or via the Venmo app with my username at BillHuffman3. Any amount is appreciated, as it does, as I mentioned before, keep the recorders running. If you want to stay up to date on the case, you can follow me on Twitter at BillHuffman3. So anyone with information can call their local FBI branch or email it to colonial underscore parkway underscore murders at ic.fbi.gov. I will put that on the show notes. If you enjoy this podcast, please leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. That will help support the show and help keep the causes that I do support in the spotlight. Anyone with information about Holly's murder is asked to email or call the Hampton County State Police Detective Unit at 413-505-5993. I will also provide the email in the show notes. People are also welcome to text any information to CRIMES, which is 274637, with the subject line, Solve Holly Peranian. A $40,000 reward is being offered for information leading directly to the arrest and conviction of the person or persons responsible. If you have any information regarding the case of 16-year-old Molly Ann Bish, you can call the FBI at 1-800-CALL-FBI. The Massachusetts State Police is also looking for information, and they can be reached at 1-800-808-9677. Don't forget... October 27th will mark 30 years Amy Mihaljevic's case has remained unsolved. So anybody with any information, please contact the Bay Village Police Department at 440-871-1234. The FBI is offering a reward up to $25,000 for information leading to the arrest and conviction of the individuals responsible for the death of Amy Renee Mihaljevic. Stay tuned next week for part four of the Colonial Parkway Murders with a special guest, Nick, from the True Crime Garage podcast, and Bill Thomas, where we discuss and take a deep dive into some of the suspects and some of the theories behind the case and where the case currently stands. So thank you again for listening, and everybody, please be safe. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just gonna circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The truth about the Haditha massacre has been covered up, but not anymore. I know you know what happened. They went into houses and killed women and children. What are you thinking? What a mess. U.S. Marines murdered innocent civilians in cold blood. And at the center of it all is 25-year-old Sergeant Frank Wooderick. And me. Murder in House 2. A new podcast from Crowd Network. 